Welcome, guys. Yeah, we are here. I am here. Welcome to... I can't believe I'm reading this episode 46 of the Baked and Awake show. Uh, thank you so much for everyone who's listened so far. And thank you just as much, doubly much, right now in the moment to those of you discovering the show for the first time. Uh, it's just about 420, 422, which, as you know, is 422. Uh, and I'm just finishing up rolling up a little joint here for myself, for us to enjoy together while we record this week's episode. Um, this week, I've been I've been a little off pace this last month. Definitely, I'm probably lucky to get three out this month. So, um, but they've been longer. So, you know, not really, not not truly off pace, just different pace, right? Um, and you know, we don't hold ourselves to too rigorous of a, you know, format or formula that we can't just do what feels right, you know, uh, week to week, month to month, as the mood suits. So, all right, I'm rolling as we go, so just kind of multitasking, trying to keep my act together here, but looking up at my notes, I want to remind everybody as I'm trying to do more regularly, um at the top of the show that hey if you didn't figure it out by the title baked in a week we use some cannabis on this show okay we talk about it uh quite a lot actually <laughs> big part of what we do around here uh and uh we consume it and talk about that too so you know uh, i don't have a formal strain of the week this week we're just rolling up a little bit more of uh one of my recent uh favorites on my uh also recent uh, unplanned sativa kick. Uh, so I'm smoking on some blueberry headband, which uh, you guys might recall from a few episodes back. Uh, definitely puts some uh, scoot in your boots. So uh, that's what we're smoking on today, and I'm excited about it. So, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so we consume. Don't don't sweat it. Nobody's gonna you know do anything crazy here. We're just enjoying the plant and exploring the plant together and talking about it. Uh, we're recording from Seattle, Washington, one of the biggest and uh, best developed legal markets in the in North America. Uh, and it's a constantly changing landscape here. I work in that industry. Uh, we talk about that a little bit sometimes as well. Uh, you know, the actual, you know, what it's like working in the, in the cannabis industry, uh, so to speak. So uh, I'm very fortunate to be a part of it and very fortunate to be able to sit here on the outside and record a podcast about it and smoke weed on the mic with you guys, uh, you know, while tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of nonviolent drug offenders of all stripes, um, you know, have lost, well, in many cases, their whole adult lives to incarceration over this plant that we love and celebrate so much, um, as I often do, I'll include links to a couple of worthwhile organizations that do care about that very struggle, um, including foremost among them the Sentencing Project, who we've talked about before here on the show uh, at a little bit greater length. Uh, but the Sentencing Project, to recap briefly, of course, is a uh, national organization that seeks to uh, improve, better, reform, um, 
sentencing laws for nonviolent drug offenders of all sorts, not only cannabis offenders, um, and uh, basically, uh, you know, is continually seeking uh, opportunities to advocate for uh, people who have been criminalized by our justice system um, in this way over the years. So, uh, yeah, that's... So we'll, you know, do on on that sort of uh, awareness uh, for today. But indeed, please, uh, if you haven't heard of the Sentencing Project and you've never checked them out, uh, as I said, I'll provide their links in the show notes. I hope you guys check out as well. Um, you know, they're no great shakes, but I put a little time in on them every week and try to make sure I leave a little something there that's a kernel for you that you can follow up on if you care to do so. Um, and that goes for all the stories that we cover on the show as well. So, um, all right. And I guess one of the last things I want to say in form of opening and by way of explanation for our show name and show format and, you know, who we consider ourselves to be around here and what we're doing. Um, you know, I know I'm not a journalist. I know I'm not a academic. I know I am not a, um, expert political pundit and I do my best to you know while it's unavoidable that I weigh in on a lot of matters that we cover as concerns you know my particular lens on them uh, I try to remember at all times that I'm very much a layperson in, in all these respects and what I seek to do here is explore these spaces, including controversial spaces, uh, together with you and on the mic in a sensible fashion where I've got some accountability for myself, um, for all of us, for the conversation. What was the conversation that took place? Well, there's some show notes that we can refer back to. What stories did I mine for the conversation? There they are as well. Um, Where I'm going with that is, a lot of these topics that we talk about, I willingly allow to be discussed in the light of the broad, gross mischaracterization that they fall under so often in polite conversation, and that is to say conspiratorial topics, conspiracies, conspiracy theories, all, you know, terms of derision, to put it, you know, nicely. Uh, really, these days, the way they're used. They're wielded as weapons in conversation. When, when someone, you know, asks you if you're a conspiracy theorist, it is never in a genuinely curious or complimentary fashion. It is always with an impish sense of knowing that they have already one-upped you uh, by making that utterance because you're, of course, in a trap at that point. You can either, like the Christians you know, deny your, <laughs> deny your, uh, savior, uh, namely that being, you know, uh, skepticism and, uh, you know, a questioning spirit and the pursuit of truth, um, you know, or you can demur and you can, you know, say any one of a hundred different dismissive little deflections that, will get you off the hook. Oh, well, I love Bigfoot as much as the next guy, but I really don't think that 
you know, reptilians are running the universe, um, you know, whatever it might be. And, and, and I chose those two examples off the cuff, but they're both good because Bigfoot would represent the uh, kitty end of the pool for conspiracies, cryptozoology and cryptids, uh, and something like, you know, Mr. David Icke's, um, to quote the, or to reference the most popular proponent of, uh, or most well-known proponent of those theories, uh, his reptilian theories, um, which are at the very least amongst some of the most entertaining presentations you'll ever come across on YouTube in the whole conspiracy realm. So if you haven't checked out David Icke and his whole shtick, the realm that he's in is definitely way out in left field. Um, but yeah, I mean, he covers a lot of ground and he covers it really facile, very skillfully, very, yeah. Um, interesting guy. So, yeah, so what I'm saying is, what do we cover here? AI, we cover technology, we cover transhumanist sort of uh, topics, we cover uh, mass surveillance, we cover, uh, you know, the Internet of Things. Uh, we cover a little bit of, I'm just dabbling in and, and talking about, trying to talk about where I can, when I can, how I can, crypto, uh, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, the lot. So we talk about stories around these spaces, um, and a lot of them really, if you just can, you know, shake off the pervasive numbness that's on us all, and I suffer from it too, if you can shake it off for a moment and listen to what's actually being said to you here, you know, both here and everywhere you go to get your truth, to get your real information, to parse what you can meaningfully out of the tsunami, the shit tsunami that just flows down over us every day, like a new island growing off of Hawaii, uh, only with no real value, not even for compost. that you come here, that we talk about some of these same stories, some things you've heard about, hopefully a few things you haven't. I hope I can bring some new, you know, stories to some of you folks as we go. Um, and to find a way through it all to not give up and say, well, this is the world we live in and it's probably just going to be just great. It's going to come out in the wash. Uh, and stopping short of, you know, riding in the streets over, well, I don't know, just about everything. <laughs> um, uh, you know, finding ways to, like, take action as adults in our own personal lives and maybe now and then in our communities to try to hang in there to try to do better when others seem to be doing worse um, 
Yeah, I don't know. That's a little bit about, you know, what and why and what and why I'm trying to do what I'm doing here. Um, trying not to have any illusions with myself over, you know, the relative level of, uh, you know, strength of uh, my reporting, quote unquote, on these topics. We're having conversations. I know my conversations are a little better than the conversations that you have with your family and friends. Maybe I benefit slightly from being able to sit here and ramble uninterrupted into the mic just a little bit and read some stories for you guys. Get some feedback afterwards from a few of you. Take what I can. Keep moving forward. So, that's what's up. It's June 16th. I'm banging into microphones. 16th, June 26th. Hello. I do have a garden update for you guys today. I talked right through my 420. Now I'm finishing that. Trying to be holding it the entire time. <laughs> the roller in my hand the whole time. Here we go. Boom. Oh, yeah, there you are, little buddy. I want to tell you guys oh, a little bit about what's been going on in the garden and farm to get things started here. But let's light this up first. So, hope you got something ready to go. I'm going to fuck with this blueberry headband. All right, so we left off in the garden. Last I checked, with um, I was fighting some pests in my uh, medical cannabis plants and for that matter just in that in that starter greenhouse entirely in my first little green plastic uh, bag one so they were giving me fits um as i said at the time the jury's uh, been out on the fungus gnat versus root aphid question um i kind of i think at the end of the day i would put my money on these being fungus gnats um Either way, what have I been hitting them with? I've been hitting them with two things. Both of which, you know, and uh, like here's the thing. You want to be an organic grower. You, you, you want to imagine that you can never use any chemicals of any sort on your plants whatsoever. You know, you're either resigning yourself to a life of pain and buggy weed probably. Or you're going to find some organic listed products that are going to work for you. So what have I been using? Root Clean and Azimax. And I've done like two rounds of root clean, root cleaner, root clean on the uh, plants now. Uh, good week or so apart, more like two weeks apart because in between I hit them a couple times with Azimax. Um, both of these are like Omri listed. They're both, you know, supposed to be safe for us and the plants. The plants look really healthy. The insects, both the flyers and the larvae, are way, way down in activity. Um, I've got two plants inside, the larger Harbor Freight greenhouse and, and the two Lake of Fire outside right now. And um, just letting everybody get big and happy. Um, and I don't know why I have the uh, two mystery seeds inside the greenhouse. They're just in there just for fun because I'm testing out the greenhouse. And, oh, yeah, I put a cooling fan 
on in the greenhouse um, like a big eight inch max fan that sucks a lot of um, CFM, a lot of you know moves a lot of air. Um, later, I'll put a charcoal filter on that for the flowering phase, um, and probably try to. We'll see if I can get all four plants inside that eight by six. Um, but they're you know they're getting pretty fluffy. So, and I'm not even sure the mystery seeds are male or female yet. So we'll we'll find that out you know in another few weeks yet. Um, oh boy, I better I better figure out where I'm where I'm moving my little sound station, or I'm gonna keep on bumping into this microphone the whole show for you guys. Everybody's gonna love that. So, those two products combined definitely have the bugs on the run. Um, I think the Azimax probably killed my beneficial nematodes right along with, you know, the bad bugs in my soil. So, you know, that's a little sad. I don't really know how to solve for that. You know, you can't, like bomb and selectively not kill a lot of those same kind of critters that are you know supposed to also so I, I, I yeah that was the thing you guys I told you I got some nematodes and I was hoping they were gonna you know get everything um, over time but I was going slower on the Azimax initially and using root clean and then chilled out and went after the nematode approach but frankly I got sick of looking at the bugs still right so in the pursuit of visible results, because the nematodes are a slow fix, right? They just slowly hunt down and kill the, the eggs in the soil as they get more numerous. Um, they feed on them. Um, since we were in like an acute situation and I got, you know, this stuff in my lake of fires that I'm trying to grow, I, I, I ended up switching gears and going back and putting the gas pedal on with the Azimax. And, uh, you know, that's definitely seemed to be out of everything that I've used the probably the most effective thing on those pests so um, provisionally I'm gonna say you know we'll continue to report back on this um, I feel like the Azimax has them on the run um, I hung up yellow sticky uh, 3m traps too you know so I can see what's going on with how many flyers we continue to catch um, I just reapplied Azimax again uh, this morning and in a root drench application uh, this time. So uh, I did it like once initially, all foliar, and soaked the whole fucking everything. Um, and then after that, I've been applying it directly to the roots because there's not a lot of action on the plant and on the leaves itself. It's all on the surface of the soil. So um, plants garden plants regular garden plants that are doing good probably the three things that i would highlight there for right now are um the tomatoes are killing it um got a bunch of really cool heirloom type uh tomatoes and forgive me i don't have all their names at hand right now but i will get you guys that uh, a little bit later on in the season especially as i start to harvest them because i've got all their little you know um info sticks still in the soil next to the respective plants but several heirloom varieties that are all really flowering beautifully and I've done a lot of under pruning of all of them to um, in an effort to as I understand it protect against the blossom end rot the dreaded blossom end rot which is of course when your tomatoes uh, turn horrible brown or black on the ends of the fruit and I've heard in the past that it was from over watering I've heard in the past that it was from lack of uh, a certain type of, you know, whether it was calcium or another nutrient, I think it is calcium that they um, uh, cite. Let me take this guy down. 
Auntie's taking us to space on this one. I love it. Uh, so, as in contrast to these things that I've heard in the past were the reasons why you got Blossom End Rot, um, I read somewhere online that it was actually when your leaves touch the soil, it's a bacteria or virus type, um, you know, abomination in the soil that gets on the leaves and vectors into the plants that way. Um, maybe they're more susceptible to it if they're low on calcium. Maybe they're more susceptible to it if they're wet and get contacted by the soil, right? Could be a combination of these things. But either way, I've underpruned quite a bit, not unlike the way I do with the cannabis plants, and try very much to keep... Um, now it's getting a little out of hand because all the plants are getting so enormous, I can't really keep them from getting their leaves uh, intermingled with one another in the areas where their canopy, um, you know, overlaps. But definitely down below, still keeping all the leaves and the lower boughs out of the soil entirely. And um, you know where I'm going with this. I have no blossom end rot whatsoever going on. Everything looks banging. Um, I'm really looking forward to some delicious tomatoes here very, very soon. Um, those are doing great. The cucumbers are taking off right now, so I'm really excited about them. Um, and I would like to point out right now that our in-ground beds are significantly behind my two patio waist-high like v-shaped trough style planters i have two big wooden ones one's like a three by three and one is a like two by six or three by six yeah like a three by six um and those those wooden planters that are down on the patio that are floating in the air are doing much better than my beds in the ground right now and i don't know you know um what to say about that because the planters in the ground are on like auto timer watering soaker hoses and everything um but i'm not spending time over there loving on them like i am on my planters on the patio so could be a difference there uh mulch and soil update definitely have uh powered through about half of that mulch from chip drop and um i did drop mulch all in the front um north and west corners of my property borders of my property and germinated all that i don't know if you call it germinated but i spread a bag of what's supposed to be morel mushroom spores you guys now i also got a bag of soluble potash because i believe that's also crucial to this and i don't even know if i have the right mulch material in the planter uh in the in the in the mulch but i do have some evergreen trees i'm hoping that one of them is the right type i can't remember what type of tree the uh, morel likes to grow you know alongside and with it's really only one or two trees that are their favorites um and you know it's like it has to be the right tree it has to be the right altitude and you have to have some um ash in the soil mix um from a recent fire well you know to simulate that we're going to try to do it with potash here and the hope is that one of these days maybe these morels will take on the property and start coming up. So, we'll see. I'd be super excited if they did, though. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. So, that's... Uh, and then I got some soil from uh, my neighbor, Smoothie. Smoothie, shout out. What's up, buddy? Thank you for the uh, topsoil. Mostly uh, compost, this stuff. And uh, so, I ended up mixing that with a bunch of topsoil both out of some beds and some fresh stuff that I had in bags uh, all in a big kiddie pool in the backyard and I'm getting ready to restore a couple of um, 
planters along the back edge of the property um, for our fall planting. Um, but we'll get into that later. Um, last two updates on the garden. A little bit sad. Um, you guys may know we have chickens. We keep chickens, laying hens. Um, we don't really do the full chicken life cycle around here yet where we're slaughtering and like eating them. Um, but uh, we basically keep them as pets and, and have the uh, eggs from them. Uh, but uh, my wife Nicole hatched a few uh, eggs this spring. And amongst the incubated uh, or the uh, fertilized eggs that she got, um, aside from the bunch that went into the incubator, we put one under uh, one of our hens who was broody who subsequently hatched that egg uh, after like sitting on it for like two weeks. And we seriously thought that egg was either non-viable or had gotten damaged by the time this thing uh, finally hatched. Um, anyway, on just their like second night of trying to move them in and integrate them into the main hen house, uh, somehow overnight something occurred and we lost the baby chick who managed to get separated from her mother and the rest of the flock. And near as we can tell, might have been carried off into the underbrush by either a rodent or a raccoon. Um, interestingly, we had literally just set up cameras on the property, uh, one in the front yard, one in the backyard, like two nights before that. And did at least loosely have it pointed that direction, um, you know, mounted up, lightly mounted on the roof of the larger greenhouse, pointed back towards diagonally to the other corner of the property, looking out at the chicken coops. Um, and uh, we didn't even see her on, on reviewing the footage. It's pretty hard to see that far away with much detail, and she was a small little chick. Uh, she was the smallest of the chicks. So we were really sad. Um to lose her and and honey if you're listening i'm so sorry because uh, she was a favorite she was a beautiful little white chicky and um she was you know just having a great time with her mom and uh, we were having a great time watching her grow and uh i blame myself for rushing nicole a little bit um in trying to transition everybody from the smaller greenhouse zone where i had sort of set up all the babies uh a couple weeks prior into the coop um, you know, and I'm sure we both thought, you know, they were pretty ready by now to start going that direction. Um, we hadn't moved everybody, but we were trying to move mother and baby first, uh, back in. And, um, yeah, she was the smallest of the chicks and probably could have gone, who knows, a little longer, another couple of weeks before we did it because we lost her and... That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then also sad. Um, this is a story that is the... Well, we don't know if it's going to be a, to be continued or not. It will be continued because, again, something that we do here, we're beekeepers. So we have a beehive out on the back of the property adjacent to the chicken coops. And, uh, yes, no, we just live in the suburbs. You can do this, too. It's not like we have a giant farm or anything. We just have a backyard. Um, we have a beehive. It's been quite hot. The bees have been bearding the last few days. Um, 
I have a feeling maybe it contributed to this, even though it hasn't been as hot the last day or two. Um, it has been prior to that for the week prior. It was in the mid-80s uh, for the first time all season around here. I think our bee colony was getting quite populous. You know, the actual population of bees was getting big. Um, and uh, out of sheer coincidence, I was taking a break from prepping for recording this episode earlier today, and I walked downstairs and took a step outside into the backyard um, you know, working from home and, uh, take a walk downstairs, take a, uh, walk into the backyard and all the fucking bees are flying around the backyard, you guys. And I'm not talking like newly graduating bees out of the nursery, getting training flights or the normal bee pollination. I'm talking, this was like one of those seventies, um, bee movies with killer bees. Um, I didn't mean B movie, B E E. I meant B movie, like B and the letter B in quotes. Yeah. Um, those old like creature features. Yeah. Creature features, you know, the bees, ants, fire ants, you know, spiders, those kind of things. Um, so yeah, I got a little bit of video of it. Um, but what I was witnessing and as I quickly realized was, uh, I was witnessing our bees, getting ready to peace out they were swarming so uh i watched them for a bit you know sent off a few semi-frantic texts to nicole to let her know what i thought was going on and um indeed they start slowly migrating over to the to the right and to the south of the house and they're going past my next door neighbor's house um near as i could tell i think maybe they went to the top of like a hundred foot tall uh, I mean there's it's an incredible old growth tree that's in the middle of this neighborhood here at the top of the hill in Skyway um, in my neighbor two houses downs uh, yard and I couldn't access their backyard but I could access my next door neighbor's backyard and look up uh, you know pretty well into that tree zone into the next one's backyard from there she has a low fence into their yard thought I could still hear them I mean because I could see them hovering moving towards that tree and it's an enormous enormous tree that I would hope would provide a pretty uh, good shelter for them I'm hoping they stopped right there because it gets I you know walked past that area and it gets pretty desolate again in terms of big big trees um all in that area they could easily move down the hill though no problem it's just a block you know any direction to a good tree and they don't they don't care they'll do it they'll they'll fucking you know swarm under your patio uh you know, covering if that's where they decide to land. Um, but I think they stopped in this tree. We're hoping we can coax them back down. Um, as soon as my wife gets home, I have a feeling we're going to be springing into action on that front. Um, so this whole episode may not be recorded at one go here. I may end up having to park it for a bit um, and go out on Operation um, Colony Recovery. Uh, it's going to be a challenge, though. We can't we can't physically intervene with the queen uh, very readily from the height that I think that they are settling in at that in that tree. Um, if they did indeed stop in that tree, um, but we're going to put out, I believe, a new box nearby, and there may be some. You know, we can put out some water and some other things to sort of, you know, facilitate and, and invite them uh, to to potentially select that new. Uh, boxes their new habitat anyway and thereby recover them uh, but i mean as it stands they've been gone for an hour or so now so they're they got time to make their decision on their own if they if they're moving fast but 
Um, you know, in the case that they're gone, I don't know what we do next. I guess we inspect the hive, maybe see if there was anything wrong in there, you know, um, there's like certain molds and pests and things that may infest a hive. Um, but I, I have a feeling it was, you know, heat and population combining on this one, um, where we should have had a third deck potentially, um, on there again, giving them some more room, um, which we were getting ready to do, you know, bees, you could have just been a little bit more patient with us. Another weekend, summer vacation was just about to start. Peace. Yeah, so never a dull moment here at the old Bluebird Farms. Uh, speaking of which, if you want to follow my wife's account on Instagram, where we post exclusively um, garden and backyard farming and homesteading, you know, uh, back to basics living kind of stuff. Uh, is at Bluebird Farms on Instagram. So uh, she posts some awesome content there. So and we're going to do more with it all the time. So slowly but surely. Um, all right. Well, I think that's the garden update, right? That's a pretty good one. Um, I mean, yeah, we're killing chicks by accident. We're swarming bees over here. We're just falling apart. Um, now we got, now we got, you know, bugs in our plants. So. Whew. Do as I say, not as I do, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> On that front. Ay, ay, ay. Um, all right. So uh, last week we had uh, Corey from From the Canopy actually gave me this story last week, and I didn't even get to it. But I, I want to actually read this story because I'm terrified by it. And um, it relates to everything else we always talk about on this motherfucker. So let's let's get into it. Um, got about half of this dube left. All right. <clears throat> so Corey sent me this a week or so back, two weeks back maybe. And, uh, so this was, uh, posted on ink.com. And what we have is, they got some stupid header in my way at the top that they don't want me to close, right? So, anyway, we're just going to ignore that. Something about deep fake videos are getting worse. New, new identity scams. Forge your face in fake videos. Alright, this was written by Lisa Calhoun. Um, she's from a company called Valor Ventures. And this was published pretty recently, just a couple of weeks ago. So we've talked about deepfake before. They're mapping people's faces using AI and convincingly placing them, superimposing them over a actor or into existing video, like re-editing into existing videos. We've seen it done with pornos where they've edited famous young Star Wars actresses into porno videos and uh, musicians, etc. Um, we've seen it done uh, modeled with uh, famous politicians like um, then President Barack Obama and uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Both uh, uh, early deep fake videos were made of. This technology debuted, I want to say, um, initially uh, through some like Reddit posts um, and. Um, it's been uh, iterated upon 
parts of it have been open sourced and people can get a hold of this. Like, you know, you can get a hold of this kind of stuff and fuck with it if you want to. That was a big part of one of my last stories was how much lower the barrier to entry is getting on these and how much better they're getting at the same time. So let's see what this update has to say about this. Let's light this though one more time. Because, yeah, we should be stoned for this. All right. Did you realize that a creep with an app, a collection of your online photos, and a video could make it seem like you did things you didn't? Unfortunately, this is no fantasy. As many stars, like Gal Gadot, and others victimized by fake celebrity porn, are being forced to discover. The ugly truth is that the phenomenon of deepfakes isn't just for porn, subreddit dungeon dwellers, or movie special effects. The most famous and legally approved example of a deepfake is the recent Star Wars Rogue One movie, where a 19-year-old Carrie Fisher was recreated with a with AI. I just recently saw that. And uh, sure, yeah, they, they brought her back in for a very short little, you know, cutscene um, of her on the projector. It wasn't, yeah. You won't think about it too much. They just, you know, used that technology to do that. So it looked good. It looked, you know, like her. It didn't look plasticky and, you know, synthesized is the point. It's one of those, how did they do that technologies, right? Okay, when you know that that's what they used. The technical capacity to fake your face and voice in video is coming from normal folks who do normal things, like manage people, speak at conferences, get romantic, and make tough choices too. What if when you make tough choices, like letting someone go, could the people who didn't like your choice reinvent reality on video? So, right, I mean, you know, on the flip side, somebody could invent, you know, something that you did that is, you know, weaponized against you that you didn't actually do, but they invent this using a deep fake. You know, it could go either way, I suppose. Deep fakes are video with superimposed fake faces. To give you a sense of what a deep fake looks like today, check out this embedded fake video of Donald Trump interviewing himself. It's not using movie quality production. You'll notice some of the cheap tricks and the way the interviewer's face isn't perfectly set and the light flashes. It looks pretty fake some of the time. Keep in mind, though, it's a close-up. Would this be as easy to detect at a distance of more than 50 feet? So, uh, I've seen this one. Here we go. Are you ready for the Republican debate next week? 
have the papers, I'm always ready. It's really going to be a big debate, but I'm always ready. It's not just big, it's yes! Okay, so yeah, and and watching it again with fresh eyes, you know, for our benefit together, I think anybody watching this would say, sure, at close up, at across the desk range, and this is Saturday Night Live, I think, fucking with us here with this one, um, using their version, you know, a version of this that they, they you know, can obviously afford and got a hold of. Um, it looks a little fakey, right? But it looks like him, and it and it actually... See, in there, that ends the clip. That's good. Um, as they point out, would this, you know, be as easy to detect at a distance of more than 50 feet? No, I think more than more than a few more feet away, um, you know, if the voice is on, which last I checked, I think they can also fake. If the voice is on and the mannerisms aren't, you know, totally wrong, no, you would have a hard time. And, you know, and this is just some little quick slapped together thing, clearly a slapped together thing. You know, done with Trump's consent. I mean, he's playing with them with this. Um, so. Let's see here. They have another video here with. Uh, you know how they do it, um, using Putin as an example, and the and the you know the scientists uh, or you know analysts on the other side. All right, so we can see them right now. Still, they're not really really there yet to the point where, or at least that we're being shown that we could get worked in this way. That we could really get worked in this way. Again, though, if it's not a little slapped together Saturday Night Live thing like they just showed you there, link will be in the show notes so you guys can look at this article and watch that little video clip. Um, if you did this at feature film budget level, or if you did this at um, you know major uh, cable news network, you know production level, I don't know. You could do whatever you want, and you probably could create spots that could be disingenuous that would also be quite convincing. All right, they continue, though. Here, let's get back to it. Deepfakes can often be spotted at the moment. However, with better computers and GPUs, movie producers have been creating realistic fictional space battles monsters, and comic book heroes for quite a while. And the technology is moving down market. Okay, there we go. Barrier to entry, lowering. Faking reality is riveting in the world of fiction. In the world of fact, some of these techniques going mainstream are downright terrifying. They can be used to create creepily real video that forges your face onto someone else's video image. For your viewing pleasure, 
Here's a Nick Cage compilation that's mostly awful, but will get you thinking. Um, we're not going to. They mean Nicolas Cage, you know, and I've seen this one before as well, where they um, layer Nicolas Cage's face onto everybody. <laughs> they do it really convincingly. It's actually really good. Um, and that's a good example of how when you keep it really focused, you can do it really well. So, um, but, you know, it's Nicolas Cage. So anyway, a little different. Um, all right. So now they want to explain to us how deep fakes work a little better. All right. And this is good review. For those of you especially who haven't really been looking at this yet because it's a mess. All right. First one, a creep gathers lots of photos of you online. Well, that's easy. You've got an Instagram, right? You got a snap. You got a. Oh yeah, you think your snap's encrypted? It's not. <laughs> uh, you got a face space, so that one's got all of them. All you need. The easy way is to Google your name, look under Google Images, get a glimpse of how many are readily available. Searching your name in Facebook or Snapchat also turns up more looks. You get the picture. As they point out here, you are editing your online presence, right? Two, the creep picks a video to superimpose you on. The most popular choice these days seems to be pornographic, but it could be any kind of video. Crucially here, even one they took. Okay, so if they make the video, then they've got full control, full authorship. Imagine a video from your office of another person who has a similar body shape to you, doing something you'd never do. Video surveillance hosting companies like SmartView and others have more footage than YouTube already. Whoa. And so who's hacked those databases and who's who are they selling that footage to that we don't know about? I mean, I don't know. I'm sure they would everybody would say they'd never sell that in a million years. I don't know though. Three. A deep fake program does the work of mapping your face onto the video. Okay, so here's where that AI part comes in. Deepfake programs are constantly improving. Next year's won't have these same visible artifacts that are bugging you in the Trump and Nicolas Cage videos. Deepfakes are getting banned. Twitter, Reddit, and other sites have banned the use of deepfakes, sensing, perhaps, that encouraging a digital black mirror world is one no one wants to live in just yet. But that shouldn't make you feel too safe. Please don't let it make you feel too safe. It absolutely bears repeating that so much of our brain's cognitive capacities are predicated on believing what we see. I'm pointing at my own eyeballs right here. Law professor Eric Goldman told The Verge recently, The proliferation of tools to make fake photos and fake videos that are indistinguishable from real photos and videos is going to test that basic human capacity. People have been getting fooled by movies and stuff for forever, 
you know, initially, right? So we are all the time with less sophisticated technologies. They fake us out already. Anyway, um, they say here, deep fakes open a door for innovators on both sides. This has been the case before. We've seen this before. Um, but they say here, you know, this is when I was saying we see this before when talking about other subjects that we're dealing with right now, like mass surveillance, like AI, like um, certain different, uh, like, well, you know, I, I guess you call it like transhumanist type stuff, like just like um, whether that's a cashless economy or whether that is a um, like some futuristic uh, imagined world where we're, you know, uh, like uploading parts of our consciousness or memories or et cetera to the cloud. We already are uploading our memories to the cloud. Look at your cloud. Look at your cloud. You got a cloud. It's full of your what? Your photo stream. Your photo stream is your photo stream, your video stream. It's a bunch of other shit because it's taking location data on all that stuff the entire time. Google's making videos for me of where I went on rides last week on my motorcycle, telling me where I was, making little pretty pictures out of my stuff. And, I mean, I'm constantly shutting off location services on everything, and it still got them. still got me. Because every time you turn on anything, it's right back. Anyway, ranting. Ranting. <laughs> Deepfakes open a door for Steve ranting on both sides. <laughs> they say here the fact is the law is far behind the technology in parentheses as per usual <laughs> this is what this is perfect so since this is ink they're talking to entrepreneurs it will be up to entrepreneurs like you to create tools that can protect your privacy your ownership of your face and more Think of innovations like blockchain-secured security footage that doesn't allow tampering like deepfakes. Man, blockchain can fix everything, you guys. This shit's like weed. Video forensic apps that detect tampering. Sounds great. Sites that guarantee takedowns on tampered video or personal presence faking. I said this came out a couple weeks ago. It came out back in February, you guys. It's all right, though. For deepfakes, the innovation's pain is the innovation's promise. Man, this is the ink slant. They're pitching us here at the end. We're on the brink of the world, of a world where what's real and what's not will be undetectable by our biological systems. Our eyesight, hearing, and evolution-trained response systems. You were used to your sometimes fake news being determined by algorithms. You've accepted cookies to the point where your advertising is contextualized. So nicely put. Deep fakes are just the next iteration. Whoa, really? We're coming to a place where artificial intelligence is needed to counter artificial intelligence. Deep fake videos are a fuzzy window into how completely our digital reality can be rewired without our permission tomorrow. What are you going to do about it? Lisa, 
close them with the fire. Nice job, Lisa Calhoun. Okay, so yeah, there you go, you guys. Ink.com. I guess you'd call this like an editorial. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I say. I know. Uh, great story, though. So watch out for those sons of bitches. They're coming. Deep fakes for everybody. You get a deep fake. You get a deep fake. You get a deep fake. <laughs> All right, what do we got next? Oh, yeah, they just get worse, though. I hope you guys have a lot of weed. <laughs> Let's see if I can get through this one before the family rolls up. I bet you they're going to roll up before I finish this story. We may have to hit pause. Um, let's make sure we're still recording. Do we have a show? Yep, we're still recording. All right. So, this one is... Um, so, I guess we're tracking on, you know, like the world here, Europe. Um, because this is the Intercept. Which I want to say is, you know, UK. Uh, June 25th, so this is current. This is brand new. Just taking somebody's shit right here and reading it to you guys. Um, came up in my feed. Interpol rolls out International Voice Identification Database using samples from 192 law enforcement agencies. So, Ava Kaufman just published this yesterday, June 25th. Last week, Interpol had a final project review of its speaker identification system. Four-year, 10 million euro project that has recently come to completion. The Speaker Identification Integrated Project, what they call SIIP, marks a major development in the international expansion of voice biometrics for law enforcement uses and raises red flags when it comes to privacy. Speaker identification works by taking samples of a known voice capturing its unique and behavioral features, and then turning these features into an algorithmic template that's known as a voice print or voice model. With enough voice prints and samples collected in its global audio database, Interpol's speaker identification system will be able to upload an unknown voice and, regardless of the language it is speaking, match it to a list of likely candidates. Wow. Wow. SIIP's database allows uploads and downloads of examples of samples from 192 law enforcement agencies across the world. SIIP will join Interpol's existing fingerprint and face databases, and its key advantage will be to facilitate a quick identification process, say, of a kidnapper making a phone call. Of course, they're going to give us these great use cases, even in the absence of other identifiers. The platform also boasts the ability to filter voice samples by gender, age, language, and accent. When the audio recordings are taken from similar acoustical environments, accuracy rates can be extremely high. 
most powerful technology. I argue it's just as powerful as something like deepfake. Let's see what they have to say. Speech recognition technologies can identify and tag individuals every time they open their mouths, effectively ending anonymity. As Interpol's promotional video explains, departments using SIP, let's call it SIP, can upload intercepted phone calls and also search against voices on social media. There you go, you guys. SIP's database will include samples from YouTube, Facebook, publicly recorded conversations, voice over internet protocol recordings, and other sources where individuals might not realize that their voices are being turned into biometric voice prints. People choose to upload material online for various reasons, but I doubt it is to let police and arms companies then enroll them into a secret databases made available to police around the world, explained Eden Omanovic a surveillance expert at Privacy International. So by the sound of things, what we're hearing being reported by uh, Ms. Kaufman, you know, is that this is already happening. This has been deployed. So this has been happened, done been happened to you. Conspiracy, not a conspiracy. Do you see what I'm saying? You know, that's... One of them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cynthia Wong, a researcher at Human Rights Watch, warned that a broad mandate could lead to an ever-expanding collection. Well, broad mandate has been granted by the sound of things. It's a great start. There are many instances, she says, where we might consent to our voice being recorded for one purpose, but would object to using it for others, including using our voice to build and train a massive voice biometric database and recognition system, she says. Or perhaps we didn't consent to our voice being recorded at all. Perhaps our voice was secretly recorded or inadvertently caught in the background of a recording but has now been placed in Interpol's database. Interpol's system appears to represent the largest international voice harvesting ex effort to date. It does. I bet I posit that we have a similar... Well, if they have it, we have it, first off. And second off, I bet ours domestically is bigger, but whatever. But as a recent Interpol survey reports, many law enforcement agencies have already been quietly using voice recognition systems. Again, been already been done to you. More than half of the 91 departments in 69 countries surveyed already run automated speaker identification programs. Let's say that again. More than half of the 91 departments in 69 countries surveyed already run automated speaker identification programs. So they only talk to 69 countries and you know, half of these places are doing it. 
In 2010, Mexico announced it had created the world's first nationwide automated speech recognition system. I feel like I remember a little story about that at the time. Using Russia's Speech Technology Center. As The Intercept reported in January, the National Security Agency has been using speaker recognition to monitor terrorists, politicians, drug lords, spies, and agency employees since at least 2004. The Department of Homeland Security's new heart database. See last episode, episode 45, for a discussion of heart. Which already stores a fraction of the world's population's biometrics, will support voice data in addition to DNA, scars, and tattoos. Human Rights Watch released a bombshell report last year exposing China's state-of-the-art system. Yeah, that's a beat. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is a big deal because I don't think they meant for this one to get out. Um, China's state-of-the-art system, which appears to be integrated with mobile phone networks and recognizes the voices of known suspects in real time. Wang says that China's integrated surveillance system is likely to set a precedent for other countries to follow suit. It's unclear what kinds of legal safeguards exist to protect against the creation of international biometric collections. It's too late, you guys. Gonna create. Which may retain data ident- indefinitely. Yeah. Oversight bodies for intelligence sharing are scarce. How can Interpol ensure that the voice samples other agencies submit are lawfully intercepted? Wong asked. Based on our work, many countries around the world fall woefully short in regulating surveillance to begin with. Wong, Omanovic, and others are also concerned about the plans to create a blacklist of criminal and suspect voices. It's not known who will audit the list, what rules will govern when and how countries add to it, and what happens if someone's placed on the blacklist in error. Minority report much? Omanovic said... Wong wonders what kind of safeguards will be used in countries where the government regularly criminalizes dissent or jails journalists. Sounding increasingly like... Well, a lot of countries. But... I don't know. starting to sound kind of scary around here, too. People's jobs have been threatened. Other people have lost jobs. So, I'm not speaking out of school on that, either. Real people, real journalists. Luckily, not little fiddle-dee-dee podcasters such as me. An Interpol report researching the ethics of biometrics acknowledges the great chilling effect that such a collection might have. Or such collection, such ongoing collection. Processing of audio, this is a quote, Audio data that is never actually viewed does not count as intrusive in itself, though it can lead to future intrusion. Oh, this is their statement, the the report, the Interpol report. Particularly in an investigatory context, where the aim is identifying suspects for future scrutiny. Even when no human viewing does take place, the application of these techniques has consequences resembling genuine intrusion. 
and here they explain, they can easily cause people to fear that their information will be exposed, creating a harmful incentive to avoid associational life or unconventional behavior. Controlling who you want to be friends with based on how you'd be perceived. And, yeah, how outspoken you might be about any given, you know, hot-button social issue, particularly political. Uh, Verint, a multinational biometrics company, has been leading project development and did not respond to a request for comment um, by The Intercept, I guess. As Privacy International has documented, the company has been known to install and sell intrusive and mass surveillance systems worldwide, including to authoritarian governments. This, according to Omanovic, tells you everything you need to know about the level of ethical scrutiny being applied. The EU is being scrutinized without any public debate and the only people who will ultimately benefit are those working in the arms industry. So, there's that. <laughs> the intercept. The link in the show notes. Um... And we got through that one. We did, so that was neat. Um, what do we got here? One, two. Two more stories. All right. I'm going to hit pause. Because we just hit an hour. We're just going to go long form again this week. You guys can hit pause too. Listen to more tomorrow. Whatever you got to do. I don't care. I know you're busy and important. Um, but I'm going to go downstairs and help the family maybe try to catch some bees. I don't know if we're going to be successful or not. Um, and then I'm going to come home and feed everybody and drink some tea and try to stay up and record the rest of this for you guys because these next two stories are really good too. You're going to want to stick around for them. Um, you want me to tell you a little bit? I can tell you a little bit. Give you a little uh, peek. We move from voice identification databases to facial recognition software. And then on from there, we're going to circle back around, even though we usually start with cannabis and end with wacky stuff. Um, we're going to come back uh, briefly to a story about the first ever FDA-approved drug derived directly from the marijuana plant, in contrast to the synthesized um, pharmaceuticals that have been offered up to this point. <laughs> Alrighty. You guys are being great. I'm having fun. These next two stories are bangers, so come on back and I'll see you in just a few.
This is Off Color Discussions. I am your host, Joe B. Sit with me, my man, Billy. Good evening, sir. Uh, if you like good conversation and hearing about good beer, you can uh, check this out. Is that the cat? Yes. Yes. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I blame you for owning a cat, man. That's, you know cats me. are assholes. I am not shitting myself <laughs> for charity. They got PlayStation because they're bitches. I took my pants off about an hour ago. In Germany, there's a word for this, like what you guys made here. It's called Gemutlich. If you like what you heard, you can just find us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Spotify, and at offcolordiscussions.blueberry.net, where you can see a link to all the beer that we have tried over the past one. Eight months or so. So. We on all the socials. All the socials. Check us out. We made it back. Uh, all right, welcome to the second half. Thank you to the boys over at Off Colored Discussions. Um, great podcast. Those guys test about as much craft beer as we do cannabis on this show. Um, drop a lot of really entertaining commentary on social issues and pop culture and the usual fun stuff um but definitely those guys um have a handle on their craft beer consumption and reviewing consumption i'm sure they're professionals manage my levels slightly here you know it's always a challenge when you when you're making your way through your episode and you change your levels to you know, maybe fade something out or fade something back in. You always have choices. You could do that stuff after the fact. Or you could fiddle with your dials on your mixer on the fly. Of course, then you got to get your levels back to the same place where they were before. Or somewhere near to. Yeah. I bet I'm louder right now than I was on the first half. We'll see how we can level it all out. Uh, but yeah, off-color discussions. Go check them out. Uh... They're members of the Podcast Builders League, our Facebook group on Facebook community. Uh, All right, so let's see here. We're jumping into the second half. We've got, as I said, we wrapped up there on the first half with voice identification over in the UK. And uh, now we're going to drop back in. And uh, this story is coming from TechCrunch. Again, I think most of these, you know, I've probably got the lead in to these from Slashdot um, and then tunnel my way over to the original sources for these stories. Uh, TechCrunch, you're, I'm sure, familiar with. Popular technology blog. Let's see. Oh, it doesn't like it when you, it really doesn't like it when you touch that. Level knob, you get that crackly adjustment. There we go. All right, so you've heard of it. Your phone uses Face ID these days. If you have anything in the last generation or two of uh, iPhone or even 
popular higher-end Android phones are coming with these features now. Maybe you even use something like it at work. Some sort of biometrics that's used for identification, verification of who you are, access to your place of employment, or, yeah, other controlled environments. So, we have a story by Brian Brackeen, and he is a CEO. He's the CEO of facial recognition software developer Kairos. Okay, so he's actually the contributor. This, this gentleman runs a facial recognition company, and this is something of an opinion piece. This came out on the 25th, so just two days ago. Facial recognition software is not ready for use by law enforcement, he says. We better spark. We better, we better spark. Recent news of Amazon's engagement with law enforcement to provide facial recognition surveillance, branded Recognition. We've just re recently mentioned them in the last episode or two. Uh, I think definitely in the last episode on the Heart episode. Along with the almost unbelievable news of China's use of the technology, yeah, they have it in widespread deployment over there, means that the technology industry needs to address the darker, more offensive side of some of its more spectacular advancements. Facial recognition technologies used in the identification of suspects negatively affects people of color. To deny this fact would be a lie. And clearly, facial recognition-powered government surveillance is an extraordinary invasion of the privacy of all citizens and a slippery slope to losing control of our identities altogether. There is really no nice way to acknowledge these things. I like that this is being written by a CEO of a guy who saw fit to create a whole company around this technology, by the way. I have been pretty clear about the potential dangers associated with current racial biases in face recognition and open in my opposition to the use of the technology in law enforcement. As the black chief executive of a software company developing facial recognition services, I have a personal connection to the technology, both culturally and socially. Having the privilege of a comprehensive understanding of how the software works gives me a unique perspective that has shaped my positions about its uses. As a result, I and my company have come to believe that the use of commercial facial recognition in law enforcement or in government surveillance of any kind is wrong, and that it opens the door for gross misconduct by the morally corrupt. Try THC's clap. Oh, wait, you got to do it into the mic. Uh, to be truly effective, the algorithms powering facial recognition software require a massive amount of information. The more images of people of color it sees, the more likely it is to properly identify them. The problem is, 
Existing software has not been exposed to enough images of people of color to be confidently relied upon to identify them. And a misidentification could lead to wrongful conviction or far worse. Let's say the wrong person is held in a murder investigation. Let's say you're taking somebody's liberty and freedoms away based on what the system thinks. And the system isn't fairly viewing different races and different genders. That's a real problem, and it needs to be answered for. There is no place in America for facial recognition that supports false arrests and murder. In a social climate racked with protests and angst around disproportionate prison populations and police misconduct, Engaging software that is clearly not ready for civil use in law enforcement activities does not serve its citizens and will only lead to further unrest. Whether or not you believe the government surveillance is okay, using commercial facial recognition in law enforcement is irresponsible and dangerous. While the rest of the world speculated the reasons we are being monitored, the Chinese government has been making transparent the reasons they are watching all 1.4 billion of its citizens. And it's not for their safety. China's use cases for face recognition software for surveillance are actually an outstanding example of why we have never and will never engage with government agencies and why it's an ethical nightmare to even consider doing so. I don't see how they can keep their technology out of the hands of government agencies, frankly. So that's my, you know, position right now until he explains better. China is currently setting up a vast public surveillance network of systems that are utilizing face recognition to construct, quote, social credit systems, which rank citizens based on their behavior, queuing rewards and punishments depending on their scores. They've already proven in the case of arresting one man spotted by their CCTV network in a crowd of 60,000 people exactly how poorly this could go. The exact protocol is being guarded, but examples of punishment-worthy infractions include jaywalking, smoking in non-smoking areas, and even buying too many video games. Punishment for poor scores includes travel restrictions and many other punishments. Yes, citizens will be denied access to flights, trains, transportation, all based on the social behavior equivalent of a credit score. If all of this constant surveillance sounds insane, consider this. Right now, the system is piecemeal and it's in effect in select Chinese provinces and cities. Imagine if America decided to start classifying its citizens based on a social score. Imagine if America, and its already terrifying record of racial disparity in the use of force by the police, had the power and justification of someone being socially incorrect. Recently, we read about Amazon face recognition being used in law enforcement in Oregon. They claimed that it won't be a situation where there's, quote, a camera on every corner, as if to say that face recognition software requires constant 
synchronized surveillance footage. Which I'm sure it does not. We pick you up where you pop up and track you in between very readily. In truth, recognition and other software simply requires you to point the software at whatever footage you have social media, CCTV footage, or even police body cams. And that software is only as smart as the information it's fed. That's predominantly images of, for example, African-Americans that are considered, quote, suspect. It could quickly learn to simply classify the black man as a categorized threat. Because it hasn't already. Facial recognition is a dynamic tool that helps humanize our interactions with machines. Yet, desperate for more data, we're seeing a preview in China of face recognition when used for government surveillance, truly dehumanizing entire populations. Imagine the weight of the pressure on your consciousness, on your awareness to know that there's always not one, but multiple cameras pointed at you at everyone around you, and with an intent, searching cameras, not passive cameras that people will only look at in the case of a, of a terrible crime being committed uh, right in their field of view. No, cameras that are there actively monitoring you for your behavior. Did you spit your gum out on the sidewalk? Did you argue with someone over a parking spot or a taxi cab? It's the case of an amazing technology capable of personalizing experiences, improving interactions, and creating positive feelings being used for the purpose of controlling citizens. And that, for me, is absolutely unacceptable. I agree, sir. It's not simply an issue for people of color either. Eventually, scanning software of any kind could measure the gait, the gestures, the emotions of anyone considered different by the government. It is said that any tool in the wrong hands can be dangerous. In the hands of government surveillance programs and law enforcement agencies, there's simply no way that face recognition software will not be used to harm citizens. To my core and my company's core, we truly believe this to the point that we have missed out on very, very lucrative government contracts. I'd rather be able to sleep at night knowing that I'm not helping make drone strikes more, quote, effective. We deserve a world where we are not empowering governments to categorize, track, and control citizens. Any company in this space that willingly hands this software over to a government, be it America or another nation's, is willfully endangering people's lives. And letters to Jeff Bezos aren't enough. We need movement from the top of every single company in this space to put a stop to these kinds of sales. Well... <clears throat> It does sound like he's doing what he can to stay clear of the dirty side of this business. And 
it's clear that he's a evangelist for the technology independent of the abuses that it clearly is just rife for under these types of applications, which is, I would say, the first and biggest place where the technology is being rolled out outside of our little cell phone face recognition tech. Which, by the way, probably just feeds that machine as well every time we take a selfie. Well, it does. Not probably. So that was Brian Brakeen, and uh, again, CEO of facial recognition software developer Kairos. Uh, good links to uh, Mr. Brakeen and Kairos right here in the TechCrunch um, piece. Uh, yeah, just another, you know, cautionary voice. Just another person much more qualified than me right in this space pointing out what's presently happening, you know, um, you know, just as we speak, just this is, you know, dead horse time, you know, conspiracies that aren't conspiracies, you know, conspiracy theorist or conspiracy realist, you tell me, you know, and as I say, these aren't conspiracies, but my point is, is when you bring anything like this up in conversation, what, what is the response from your polite friends and uh, family? Oh, come on, bro. Don't start with that conspiracy theory stuff with us. What do you got to worry about anyway? Aren't you living a good life? Aren't you a good citizen? Blah, blah, blah. Keep drinking that Kool-Aid, guys. And I'm not talking to any of you listening right now because I know you're not on that Kool-Aid. All right, so that was that. Good times, I tell you. All right, just about just about finished that little morning dube of mine here. Oh, another puff left in this guy. Let's see if we can get it. Again, that's the nice thing about having a crutch on your joint. You know, you're never really handling a roachy end. You know, you've got that nice little handle. Keeps things clean, keeps your fingers a lot cleaner. Don't burn your lips and you can smoke your whole doobie. So all about those crutches. Oh my god, you guys. Okay, so before we read the last story, I'll tell you a, a B update from the first half. So, uh, you know, Nicole read up a bunch more. Uh, we looked up a little bit on the internet. Um, we figured out that, you know, when they swarm, that's how they... You know, that's how they uh, raise their population anyway. A smart beekeeper who stays ahead of the behavior of their bees might spot swarming behavior getting ready to happen and can you know ahead of that put out that luring box for when they inevitably swarm and they'll move themselves over into the new habitat so everybody who left the hive wasn't all the bees they probably left with a queen the bees who were left behind who Nicole went and inspected last night in the hive they're going to 
feed a little differently the remaining eggs that are in there. Old Queen has departed. Um, in all likelihood, this is what occurred. Um, and uh, they will hatch a new queen in the old hive. So we still have workers. We still have everybody there doing their thing because we have a big, beautiful blackberry hedge right behind these bees. And by the way, so when Nicole got done with her inspection, we, we figure out, okay, we didn't lose all our bees. Yay. We don't really have what we need to try to lure back bees out of a 100-foot high tree anyway. So, hey, bless you, bees. Go out into the world and be free. Be free, bees. Make honey for yourselves. Have fun. Don't sting anybody. They're a nice bunch, everybody. Our bees are a very mild bunch, so I don't think they're going to aggravate anybody. Um, maybe a, a sharp beekeeper will lure them in somewhere across town and be excited to have them uh, because they are making some delicious, delicious, cracking blackberry honey. Unbelievable. So good, you guys. We finally got to taste a little bit. We didn't really harvest a bunch of honey, um, but in the you know inspection process, um, you know, the boards, the racks get moved, and you need to do a little bit of cleaning and scraping to put them back in. So Nicole got tons of uh, wonderful, uh, like, preview sample honey for us last night, and I've never tried anything from anybody that's better. So that's not to say that ours is better than theirs, but I'm saying that it is equal to any honey I've tried ever. Um, and I've certainly never tasted anything fresher. So uh, super cool. Uh, excited to, you know, sort of understand that we're doing, we're still doing okay as far as the bees go. And, uh, Nicole did add the third, you know, uh, rack. I think they call it a super to the hive when she did her inspection and everything last night and put in several new racks that they then can begin to move into as the hive builds itself back up and they have the whole summer to still do it. Um, you know, the blackberries will be producing flowers all summer long here as they get ready. Um, and, and, and of course we have a whole garden full of plants too. So, um, yeah, that's the bee update. So that's, you know, um, I'll post some pictures of the, uh, scene. I got a little short video, uh, as well of Nicole working in the hive and, um, it ends if I edit it right for you guys with me, um, spastically slapping at my head and uh, running like a maniac away from the area where I was a little bit too close to her and uh, filming and finally a bee decided to uh, give me a, a warning and was coming in for the kill um, uh, so I fairly gave myself a concussion slapping that bee away from my head and uh, running for my life so uh, maybe I'll share that with you guys if you're nice <laughs> all right so our last story here are we recording do we have a podcast all right, our last story here. It comes from the venerable WSJ, the Wall Street Journal. And this was uh, yesterday's U.S. edition, I guess. I think, well, no. Yeah, I'm looking at today's header, but this story came out two days ago on the 25th. Uh, you guys may know about this. The FDA just approved a... Marijuana-derived drug, FDA approves. First drug derived from the marijuana plant. Right? It's Marinol and, and the one other, I can't remember its name right now, have both been synthetics. Synthesized, all right? Um, this is written by Peter Loftus, and uh, he writes, The U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved the first prescription drug derived from the marijuana plant. 
as a treatment for rare forms of epilepsy that primarily afflict children. Uh, oh, are they going to do me? I thought I had this on, on uh, let's see, I think I, I'm going to be able to read the whole story using Google because I'll get like a trial one. All right, you get a few reads on Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. It's Are they going to do me? Just sign me up. Let's do this. Uh, okay. Paywall. You know, people. Yep. All right, everybody. We're going to hit pause. We may kill this story. That's probably what's going to happen because these guys, I can find the story from a different source. So let's do that instead. Wall Street Journal. Yeah, you want to bet USA Today isn't behind a paywall? That's what I thought. They're just going to hit us with 4,000 cookies, but that's fine. You know, I love those guys. Those cookies are just great, right? We've talked about them. Um, all right, sorry, Wall Street Journal. We're going to the People's Republic of uh, USA Today over here. <laughs> uh you know, so I'm seeing this story all over Instagram. We've been tracking this story, you know, coming for a little while. So I think we've known that um, some stuff like this was about to happen. I do believe this is going to tie into uh, direct uh, uh, interest all around uh, the country from um, other groups uh, that may have been in first or second gear on developing their own uh, types of uh, cannabis-based treatments. Um or maybe this will fast-track ones that are already in the uh, review process somewhere in the pipeline. Uh, I think it'll affect the, the industrial hemp and CBD market as well. Um, but let's see here what we um, are getting on the, you know, the full breakdown on this story. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration here on USA Today. And this story is also uh, brand new, June 26th. And uh, our writer is Lily Price over here at USA Today. She says the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved the use of a drug derived from marijuana for the first time Monday, giving the go-ahead to treat two rare forms of epilepsy with the compound cannabidiol, also known as CBD, found in hemp and marijuana. Okay, so again, this is a CBD story, not necessarily a THC-derived uh, uh, solution, medical product, pharmaceutical, whatever we're calling it, um, and therefore, you know, perhaps a, the bigger impact will be in that CBD realm uh, here. Epidiolex, a form of cannabidiol, will be legally used to treat Lennox-Gastaut syndrome and Dravet syndrome, two serious and rare kinds of epilepsy. Epidiolex is the first approved treatment for Dravet syndrome, according to the FDA. So this has been an untreatable syndrome period up to this point in time. It sounds horrible especially if it's epileptic, you know, seizure-related. Though CBD is extracted from marijuana sativa plants, it does not produce the high typically associated with marijuana because it does not contain the psychoactive ingredient THC. Instead, CBD is often used in oil form as a way to relieve anxiety without the highs. So this sounds like one of the tincture applications that we've all seen those remarkable videos on, on 
social media. Uh, there's uh, one, uh, you know, older gentleman who uh, was severely stricken with Parkinson's who, uh, you know, sat down and filmed himself uh, taking the tincture. We've seen several videos of folks uh, administering it to children in the midst of profound uh, grand mal type seizures. Uh, and, and in the span of time that Instagram will allow you to post a clip of under a minute, you can see the, the child visibly relax and relieved and <laughs> completely, uh, you know, saved from the grip of these horrifying seizures. Um, just, you know, love it. it. Sounds a lot like this is what, what we're looking at for a product here. So let's see here. Um, quote, this approval serves as a reminder that advancing sound development programs that properly evaluate... Wow, we just, we just got to the ocean, everybody. That properly evaluate active ingredients contained in marijuana can lead to important medical therapies. That was FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb in a written statement. Epidiolex was effective in reducing the frequency of seizures in patients with the two syndromes in clinical trials. Since both Lennox-Gasteau and Dravet-Synonym syndrome appear in early childhood, they wrote synonym, <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm sure they meant syndrome again, appear in early childhood. Epidiolex is like, hey, that's what we get when we get to USA Today, I guess, versus the WSJ. What do you want? That's why the WSJ is behind a paywall. They got a spell checker. Uh, Epidiolex is legal in treatment. For patients two-year-old and above. Amazing. All right. Both symptoms feature uncontrollable and severe seizures resulting in some form of learning disability, such as hindered language and motor skills. Yeah, no, that's horrible. Um, for families with loved ones suffering from these seizure disorders, the approval of Apedialex offers much-needed hope. Christina... San Luncencio, San Luncencio, wow, an executive director of LGS Foundation said in a statement, but even with CBD oil, most individuals with LGS will continue to have lifelong debilitating seizures, she added. Uh, okay, well, keep working, everybody, but get them the CBD oil in the meantime. Some side effects presented in the clinical trials include sleepiness, sedation, lethargy, elevated liver enzymes, decreased appetite, diarrhea, rash, weakness, insomnia, poor quality sleep, and infections. I don't know, man. Infections? Yeah, it sounds like the the disease, not the medication, but anyway. CBD is currently considered a Schedule One drug because of its relation to marijuana. That's it's crucial that we get this cleaved apart from that. Trials were conducted to examine the abuse potential of CBD. The CBD industry is worth $200 million, according to the CBD Summit. The use of CBD in treatment for other diseases and disorders, such as post-traumatic stress disorder, is being tested. So, let's capture that link. I mean, I'll leave the Wall Street Journal link in the show notes for you guys. That was hilarious. They got me. They got me. 
Um, but I'm putting the USA Today link. There it is, right under it. So we, we have them both. And uh, yeah, I'm just funning you, Lily Price. You just had one typo in the whole story. It's a great, great story. Good work. Um, I think it's important. I think it's very interesting uh, development in the space. I think it's, uh, you know, potentially going to uh, massively uh, positively impact the lives of, I, I don't know the prevalence of either of those uh, particular varieties of uh, epileptic syndromes as they characterize them. Syndrome, as I understand it, is something that's less well understood uh, than a you know, an actual disease that's a little bit more defined. Um, and maybe a syndrome is a subset of, you know, symptoms that may occur under a disease like epilepsy. But yeah, I think it's... I think I take it as wonderful news. And I'm sure the families of everyone currently desperately trying to treat their loved ones child or adult with these conditions uh, will probably be swiftly seeking to uh, figure out how to take advantage of that for their care. All right. I think we got it. I think that's good for this week. Um, I do have a cool little uh, thing that I'm going to share on social media, the, the photos of for you guys it's not really a, like a full-blown story but it's a really cool thing that a friend uh crafted for me uh my buddy damon uh damon fleming from the local area here from uh beautiful olympia washington um i believe you can find him as Oli damon on instagram and uh he's an old mountain bike buddy of mine and he is a uh blacksmith these days and he forges all sorts of beautiful folk art and tools useful pieces you know everything from bottle openers to coat hangers to you know decorative purely decorative pieces and and jewelry uh and uh we were chatting online not that long ago and i floated an idea to him uh for a potential uh small souvenir memento uh related to the podcast and he knocked it out of the park i have shared one image <clears throat> excuse me already on Instagram a couple weeks back when uh, Damon shared with me his first uh, four goes at it. Um, <clears throat> but until I come up with a better name for him, I'm, I'm calling these smoking tokens. Um, and uh, they just simply say baked and awake on them, right on them. And uh, there's only a few. Uh, and, you know, think of a, uh, you know, a, a, a nice fat half dollar in your pocket um washer style you know a lot of them have a hole right in the middle almost all of them do i think i have one or two that are solid coins solid tokens um and uh my thought with these is these aren't going to be really sold um and i'm not planning on shipping them either um this will be the kind of thing where uh if we are hanging out in person together and you know about them and we're smoking uh you should ask me if i have one and uh, I would love to present one to you at that time. And uh, it would be redeemable. You could give it back to me anytime in exchange for a smoke session. We'd smoke together. Uh, 
or you could pass it on to a friend in a similar circumstance. Smoke together. Pass the coin on. And uh, try to impart to that friend, companion, that it would be wonderful if they did the same sometime with another friend. Or back with you in a small circle of friends who it passes amongst. That could be a lot of fun too. So, you know, I don't know that we won't ever do another run, but we only have a few. Under 20 of these exist in the world. Uh, and I think they're amazing. I'm going to post a photo of them uh, in conjunction with the publishing of this episode. Uh, Damon, I'm, I'm just love it, love it. <sighs> Overwhelmed. Um, so stoked. Love the keychain. He hooked me up with a keychain too. Um, all unique. They'll last longer than all of us, uh, I hope. Uh, so stoked about that. Uh, all right, everybody. Uh, I hope you're you know, checking out my friends over at the Damaged Goods Network as well. Um, if this, you know, couple hour long smoke fest wasn't enough for you, you can go visit with the boys over at Damaged Goods, the show. Uh, hang with Shade and Lily Bongwater. Learn a little bit about, well, you go over and find out what you're going to learn about at Daddy Issues with those girls. Claytime in the basement. Super funny. Clay is like ranking on the iTunes comedy charts right now. I don't even know what the fuck's going on over there. He's killing it. Um, beta testing. And now our latest, our newest uh, edition, needless to say, uh, are all over at the Damaged Goods Network. Loads of fantastic and entertaining listening waiting for you right now. Uh, so, yeah. Get over there. Hang with those kooks. Tell them Steve sent you. Uh, I think we're going to outro here with a nice little jazz number from Auntie Luode, our royalty-free music provider. Who brings so much to the show uh, by continuously adding to his enormous trove of music. Thank you, Auntie. Uh, let's look forward next episode to, I, I think we're going to return to the Electric Universe Theory. Um, we may move from the Ganymede Hypothesis into a little bit of what Saturn Theory is all about. Uh, and these are, you know, really interesting alternate explanations, you know, conjecture. You can call it that, I don't know. Um, but, you know, for the origins of human humanity. Uh, super cool stuff. All right. Um, you kids be good. We were smoking blueberry headband again today, uh, this episode, and that was a uh, hybrid, you know, not a pure sativa, but definitely sativa-leaning hybrid. And uh, I've been enjoying the sativas. Maybe it's summertime weather and needing to be a little bit more active than in the wintertime and, you know, wanting to get out in the yard and in the garden and do stuff. But, um they're treating me good right now. So I guess I'll leave you with this thought. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, whoever you're with, be good to them. Be good to yourselves. Smoke sativa and stay calm anyway. 
We'll see you soon.